0: Hello, and welcome to the Entertaining Abstracts Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got a great show for you guys today, so I'm just going to jump right into today's episode, starting out with some space articles. The first one is, Astronomers Discover One of the Biggest Black Holes Ever Recorded. And Daniel Lawler wrote this article. One of the largest black holes ever recorded has been discovered using a new technique that could spot thousands more of the insatiable celestial monsters in the coming years, according to astronomers. The ultra-massive black hole, one of just four ever observed, is more than 30 billion times the mass of the Sun, a new study says. It is the first black hole ever observed using a phenomenon called gravitational lensing, in which light traveling towards us from a distant galaxy appears to magnify and bend inwards, giving away the presence of a dark giant. James Nightingale, an astronomer at the UK's Durham University, and the studies lead author told AFP the process was similar to shining a light through the base of a wine glass. He said it is very fortuitous that the light of a galaxy in the distant universe traveled extremely close to this black hole which is roughly 2 billion light years from Earth. It could even be the biggest black hole ever recorded, but it was very difficult to say for sure given the varying techniques and uncertainties involved. Supermassive black holes sit at the center of galaxies using their vast gravitational pull to gobble up stars like specks of dust, not even allowing light to escape. Previous black holes of this size have been observed when their voracious devouring gives off huge amounts of light at the margins or by measuring the orbit of stars that speed up as they pass by. But these techniques only work for galaxies relatively close to Earth. Gravitational lensing allows astronomers to discover black holes in the other 99% of galaxies that are currently inaccessible. There are currently around 500 known gravitational lenses, at least one of which we now know is a supermassive black hole, but the landscape is about to dramatically change, according to Nightingale. The European Space Agency's Euclid mission, planned to launch into space in July, will open a big data era for black hole hunters by creating a huge high-resolution map of the universe. In the next six years, Euclid could find 100,000 new gravitational lenses which would potentially point towards thousands of previously hidden black holes. For the latest discovery, the researchers used computer simulations and images from the Hubble Space Telescope to confirm their findings as well as eliminating other possibilities such as overconcentration of dark matter huge size is also consistent with what could be expected for a black hole at the center of its giant host galaxy, Nightingale said. The mass of all the stars in the galaxy, dubbed Abel-1201, is more than a trillion times that of our sun, meaning it would be expected to have a particularly large black hole at its center. The study was published in the Journal of Monthly Notices of the Royal Astronomical Society last week. Wow, that is really interesting. And jumping onto to the topic of space exploration, scientists have figured out how to create wormholes for transportation across space. Owen Bellwood wrote this one. We've all seen sci-fi movies that show people traveling across deep space at a moment's notice. Usually, these spaceships make use of a jump-to-light-speed hyperspace or even some way of jumping across space with ease. Well... Now, a team of scientists from the UK has outlined a way to create wormholes that might let us one day hop across the cosmos in this way. According to a report from Vice, researchers from the University of Bristol's quantum engineering technology labs in the UK have proposed a mind-blowing experiment that could potentially create the first ever transversible wormhole. Hopping through the wormhole would allow people to effectively teleport from one side of space to another, but the team of researchers led by Hatim Salih, a quantum physicist and honorary research fellow at the university, don't call this method of travel transportation. Instead, it's known as counterportation, as Weiss explains. The fundamental concept behind the new study is counterportation, which is a portmanteau that Salih coined from the words counterfactual and transportation. While the transportation part is fairly straightforward, the counterfactual component is derived from a concept called counterfactual communication, which is a way to send messages between two points without exchanging any particles. By way of a simple real-world example, consider a dormant car engine light. It's not emitting anything, but it signals information that your engine is fine. That's counterfactual communication. Now that we know the name of this kind of transportation, let's talk about how the heck it could become a reality. Surprisingly, the team's approach is reliant on a lot of existing tech, starting with a special kind of quantum computer. To transport information across space and time, the researchers would First, send a light through a quantum system. The light hits detectors and is then reconstructed at the other end of the system. This means the information is transmitted without any electricity and particles being sent from origin to destination. As Weiss explains, in other words, it's more like the kind of teleportation we're familiar with in science fiction, in which objects appear to vanish at one place and reappear in another, with no sign of any exchanged particles at all. According to Weiss... Celia has been working on this way of transporting matter across space for a decade. So far, the research team has demonstrated its workings in a lab, and a team of scientists in China has also sent a bitmap image from one location to another without the exchange of particles. The next step in advancing this means of data transfer will all come down to the next generation quantum computers. These computers could then be used to harness the power of counterportation to produce a transversible wormhole, according to Vice. But if this could become a reality, don't expect instant travel across space to happen right away. Unlike fictional wormholes, the experimental version would not allow for instantaneously faster than light travel to distant locations because counterportation crawls along much more slowly than the speed of light. That doesn't mean such a technology is useless, Far from it, researchers could use this means of travel into a wormhole to send signals or objects through a real bridge across space-time. It could even offer a first-person view inside a wormhole, which would be pretty darn cool. I think it would, too. One more space article. Uranus Up Close. What proposed NASA ice giant mission could teach us? And Charles Choi wrote this one. A mission to Uranus is now the top future mission priority of the NASA planetary scientists and exploration of this mysterious ice giant could shed light on a kind of planet now known to be one of the most common in the universe, researchers say. Since astronomers discovered the first exoplanets orbiting distant stars more than 30 years ago, one of the most common kinds of alien worlds that scientists have detected are ice giants. Whereas gas giants like Jupiter and Saturn are, as their name suggests, mostly gas, ice giants like Uranus and Neptune are rich in heavier elements. Much remains unknown about Uranus and Neptune, whereas the solar system's six innermost planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn... All have had spacecrafts in orbit around them, collecting insights for scientists to date. Uranus and Neptune have only experienced flybys more than 30 years ago. both from the NASA's Voyager 2 probe in 1986 and 89. These brief encounters yielding tantalizing views of the planets that left behind more questions than previously imagined. These brief encounters yielded tantalizing views of the planets that left behind more questions than previously imagined. The dearth of knowledge on the ice giants has led the planetary science community to select a mission to Uranus as the highest priority for NASA's next large-scale flagship mission in the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine's 2023-2032 Planetary Science Decadal Survey. The potential findings would be groundbreaking in the same way that the Cassini mission has revolutionized our understanding of Saturn, its moons, especially Titan, and its rings. The proposal involves both an orbiter to gather data about Uranus over time and a probe to be dropped into Uranus' atmosphere to scan the planet from the inside. The aim of the mission, currently given the placeholder name of the Uranus Orbiter and Probe, or UOP, is to explore how Uranus and the rest of the solar system formed, and to help solve mysteries regarding the planet, its moons, and its rings. The mission is recommended to last for at least five years. One of Uranus's strangest features is the fact that unlike the solar system's other planets, it is tilted so far that it essentially orbits the Sun on its side, with the axis of its spin nearly pointing at the star. The tilt is crazy, it's the only planet in the solar system that is completely on its side. This unusual orientation might be due to a collision with a planet-sized body or several small bodies soon after Uranus was formed. We can figure out if this is true by studying what the planet is made of and its interior structure. The sideways nature of Uranus causes the planet to experience extreme seasonal variations over its 84 Earth-year orbit, unlike those of any of the solar system's other planets. And what little astronomers can see of the world from Earth cannot explain what they know of its weather patterns. The UOP can help shed light on Uranus's atmosphere with the probe gathering detailed wind and temperature data at one location and the orbiter collecting information across the entire planet. Uranus's tilt also limits what astronomers can see of its moons. For example, Voyager 2 could only image the southern hemisphere of Uranus's satellites. What the probe did see was unexpected. Uranus's five largest moons, which scientists predicted were cold, dead worlds, being too small to hold much of the heat from their creation, all showed evidence of recent surface activity. This raises the possibility that one or more of these moons, such as Ariel, Titania, and Oberon, could have potentially habitable liquid water oceans beneath ice shells. The UOP would image the surface of the moons in their entirety to search for ongoing geological activity. It would also measure whether their magnetic fields vary in their interiors due to the presence of liquid water. In addition, Uranus has nine very dense, narrow rings around it that suggest the existence of shepherd moons, whose gravitational influence kept those rings from rapidly spreading out and losing their sharp edges. The UOP could help search for these extra shepherding moons and also analyze the unexpectedly dark ring particles, whose composition is clearly different from that of the surfaces of Uranus' moons. The mission to Uranus may also shed light, not only on the origins and evolution of the solar system, but those of distant planetary systems as well. There are so many ways that the ice giants can help us to learn about exoplanets. One of the largest groups of the exoplanets that have been discovered are similar in size and mass to Uranus and Neptune. We want to know what these planets are made of and how the interior is structured. We also want to know about the weather on the planet and how that compares to similar exoplanets. As giant planets form and migrate over time, they play major roles in the birth and development of other worlds. Although scientists have gotten close looks at the solar system's two gas giants, they also need more data on Uranus and Neptune to reconstruct the solar system's history. The UOP's probe can analyze nitrogen isotopes and levels of noble gases in Uranus's atmosphere to help verify which model of giant planet formation and migration may be the most accurate. We can see evidence into exoplanet systems that giant planets migrate in many different ways. The most obvious one is hot Jupiters that must have formed far away and moved in really close to their stars. Knowing how our planets formed and migrated helps us to know what did and didn't happen in exoplanet systems. In addition, Uranus' magnetic field is quite unusual in that it's not only tilted 60 degrees from the planet's axis of spin, but also offset from the center of the planet. It remains a mystery as to how a planet can produce such a field. The UOP is recommended to launch by 2032 to help the spacecraft use Jupiter's massive gravity to slingshot it towards Uranus. This would mean the mission would arrive well after Uranus's northern autumn equinox in 2050, ensuring full visibility of the moon's trajectory after 2032 that do not use Jupiter's gravity, but still arrive before the equinox are possible, but would deliver a smaller probe into orbit, carrying fewer instruments or take longer to arrive. We will learn about how and where Uranus was formed, what it's made of and how the interior is structured. And the mission to Uranus may pave the way to more distant cousins like Neptune. Wow. Super interesting. Can't wait to hear more about that as it continues to unfold, although it could really be some time before we hear the results from that one. Now, jumping from space to the past, we have some pretty interesting stuff. The next article is 2,200-year-old flush toilet oldest ever found unearthed at palace ruins in China. And Aspen Pluthoff wrote this article. You step into the bathroom to do your business. You flush the toilet, wash up, and leave. The sequence of actions is habitual, mundane, really. You probably only think about your toilet when it doesn't flush properly. However, as archaeologists in China were recently reminded, our porcelain potties were once their own kind of thrones. Archaeologists were excavating two large palace buildings at the heart of Yuyang City, the Institute of Archaeology at the China Academy of Social Sciences, said a few weeks back in a news release via Xinhua News Agency. The Yuyang City site was used as a capital city under multiple ancient Chinese dynasties. While excavating one of these buildings, archaeologists stumbled upon a toilet, They found part of an indoor toilet seat and pipe leading toward an outdoor sewage pit. The upper portion of the toilet was missing, though. Reconstructing the toilet, researchers realized it was a deceptively advanced water flushing system similar to modern toilets. It is the first and only flush toilet to ever be unearthed in China, according to archaeologists. Everybody at the site was surprised, and then we all burst into laughter. The flush toilet is anywhere from 2,200 years old to 2,400 years old, according to news releases. The exact age is unknown because the ruined palace buildings were used for centuries, from midway into the Warring States period to the beginning of the Han Dynasty, per the release. The Warring States period began in 477 and the Han Dynasty began in 206 BC, according to Britannica. Still, the flush toilet is the oldest ever found, with the invention of flush toilets previously being dated to the 16th century in England. The toilet was considered a luxury object and only used by very high-ranking members of society. For every use, servants likely poured water into the toilet. Because the top is missing, researchers don't know for sure whether users sat on the seat or squatted over it. Pieces of the toilet were uncovered last summer and announced in the China Daily. In the same building where the toilet was found, archaeologists also uncovered four large semicircular tiles. One at each corner, according to the news release. The Yuyang City site is located at the Yanyang district of Jian City, the capital of the Shaxi province. The district is about 840 miles northwest of Shanghai. Go check that out. Just Google 2200 year old toilet from China and you can see some of the amazing pictures that are included on this one. Next article... Archaeologists find well-preserved 500-year-old spices in a Baltic shipwreck. And Tom Little wrote this article. Archaeologists say they have uncovered a unique cache of well-preserved spices from strands of saffron to peppercorns and ginger on the wreck of a royal ship that sunk off Sweden's Baltic coast more than 500 years ago. The wreck of Gribshund owned by King Hans of Denmark and Norway, has lain off the coast of Ronneby since 1495, when it is thought to have caught fire and sank as the monarch attended a political meeting ashore in Sweden. Rediscovered by sports divers in the 1960s, sporadic excavations of the ship have taken place in recent years. Previous dives recovered large items like figureheads and timber. Now an excavation led by Brendan Foley, an archaeologist scientist at Lund University, has found the spices buried in the silt of the boat. The Baltic is strange. It's low oxygen, low temperature, low salinity, so many organic things are well preserved in the Baltic where they wouldn't be well preserved elsewhere in the world's ocean system. But to find spices like this is quite extraordinary. The spices would have been a symbol of high status as only the wealthy could afford goods like saffron or cloves that are imported from outside Europe. They would have been traveling with King Hans as he attended the meeting in Sweden. Lund University researcher Mikkel Larsen, who has been setting the finds, says this is the only archaeological context where we found Saffron. So it's very unique and very special. That is pretty cool. Next article. Roman dry cleaner shop almost 2,000 years old is uncovered along Pompeii Street. Aspen Plutov wrote this article. You gather up your dirty clothes, wash them, dry them, and put them away, although routinely put off laundry is a habitual task, and as archaeologists in Italy were recently reminded, also a very old task. The ancient Roman city of Pompeii was buried when the nearby volcano, Mount Vesuvius, erupted in 79 A.D. The eruption froze inhabitants in their tracks, daily life screeched to a halt, the well-preserved city became a partially stunning, partially horrific time capsule. Archaeologists have been excavating Pompeii for over a century, but about a third of the ancient site remains unexplored according to a news release from the Pompeii Archaeological Park. One of these previously unexplored portions is Insula 10, along the Via di Nola. This section about the size of a city block was once used as farmland during the 18th and 19th centuries. People continued to farm this area until about 2015 when the land became part of an archaeological park. Excavations along the ancient street have just begun, but archaeologists already uncovered the ridges and upper floors of several buildings, park officials said. One of these buildings was a house converted into a flanica, or laundry shop, archaeologists said. In ancient Rome, a flanica, sometimes referred to as a fullery, was a shop where launderers were paid to do people's washing. Dry cleaner shops are the most modern-day equivalent of flanica. Because soap was not yet invented, ancient Romans used urine. That's right, folks. Urine both animal and human, as laundry detergent. The urine was collected in pots found along the city streets. And because urine contains ammonia, a base substance which cleans dirt and grease stains by counteracting their slightly acidic nature, ancient Romans would bring their laundry to the Fulanica and pay for laundry services. Laundry workers would first wash the clothes in vats with water and urine, then walk barefoot on the clothes for a period of time. Next, the workers would rinse the clothes by hand and beat them with a stick to remove any lingering dirt. Once dirt and stains were gone, the clothes were dried on racks and either delivered to or picked up by their owners. The 2,000-year-old dry cleaner shop found in Insula 10 is not the first set shop found in Pompeii, another one, the Fulanica of Stephanus, was unearthed back in 1912. The Fulanica of Stephanus was originally a house and later converted into a laundry facility, according to experts. Photos show the large laundry vat and almost bathtub-like structure in one of the rooms. Ten other Fulanica shops have been found in Pompeii so far, according to the World History of Encyclopedia. In addition to the laundry shop, excavations in Insula 10 also unearthed a house with an oven and upper cell as well as a series of holes likely dug for volcanic rocky, quarrying the release said. Archaeological excavations are ongoing and hope to reveal more about life in the ancient city. Pompeii is about 155 miles southeast of Rome. Next article: Aber Clam Lincoln, a 214-year-old clam, born the same year as Abraham Lincoln, has been found in Florida. James Call wrote this article. Aber clam Lincoln, a quahog clam believed to be 214 years old, was released into the Gulf of Mexico last week by his caretakers at the Gulf Specimen Marine Lab. AmeriCorps member Blaine Parker dug up the two-century-old mollusk at Florida's Alligator Point while collecting shellfish to make chowder. Parker said the clam is hefty enough to make two servings and has a shell large enough to use as a bowl to serve it in. We were going to eat it, but we thought about it for a while and figured it was pretty special, so we didn't want to kill it, Parker said. Instead, he took it to the aquarium at the Gulf Specimen Marine Lab, where he works as a specimen collector. While most ocean quahogs are 2.8 to 4.3 inches long and weigh up to half a pound, Lincoln checks in at 6 inches and weighs 2.6 pounds. Parker said a clam, like a tree, lays down annual growth bands, alternating bands of light on its shell, which scientists use to estimate their age. There were 214 layers on the shell of the clam he found, which would mean it was probably born in 1809, the same year as Abraham Lincoln. It was also discovered on President's Day weekend, so Parker named his find Abraham Lincoln. Pawhogs are found in the Atlantic from Greenland South to North Carolina. They move by being tossed around in the surf and crawl along the sand by expanding and contracting their muscle. With Lincoln being so old, it's possible that circumstances moved himself, making him one of the oldest known Florida transplants. Quahogs are known to live 200 or more years. A 507-year-old clam found in the Icelandic seabed and named Ming broke the Guinness World Record for oldest animal when it was discovered in 2007. Scientists believe that their incredibly low metabolic rates are responsible for their long lives. A 2018 University of Kansas study on the energy needs of 299 species of extinct and living bivalves found those with minimal energy requirements escaped extinction. The lower metabolic rate, the more likely the species you belong to will survive, say scientists. Instead of survival of the fittest, maybe a better metaphor for the history of life is survival of the laziest, or at least survival of the sluggish. Lincoln appears to have been born before the start of the Industrial Revolution, which triggered a massive burning of fossil fuels. Researchers have used centuries-old clam shells to identify changes in the North Atlantic climate system. Analysis of oxygen and carbon isotopes revealed a dramatic shift in the interaction between the ocean and the atmosphere when a regional cooling period ended in about 1850. Lincoln may be the fourth oldest clam on record. Here are a look at some of the other older clams they have found. A 507-year-old Ming was found off the coast of Iceland in 2006. A 374-year-old mollusk was collected off Iceland in 1968. And a 220-year-old quag was pulled from American waters in 1982. A more accurate age of a clam can be determined with an autopsy-like exam. Ming's estimated age was increased 104 years when scientists studied his insides. So it's quite possible that Aberclam Lincoln is older than what the Gulf Specimen Marine Lab estimates. And unlike the others, Lincoln is still living. Ming and the others are not aging anymore. Lincoln will be hitting the waves back into the surf along the Gulf Coast as of February 24th. We just figured he wouldn't live very well in captivity, Parker said, and I think he's earned the right to stay out there. So if you see Aberclam Lincoln or any other mollusks like him, leave them alone. They deserve to be out there in the ocean. Next article, highly intelligent and possibly invincible super pigs are invading America. And this article was written by Tim Newcomb. A hybrid species of super pigs, which is a mix of domestic pig and wild boar, are running wild in Canada now. They have their sights set on the United States as well, which is slightly terrifying, I guess. Originally crossbred to help farmed pigs grow larger and tolerate the cold temperatures of Canada, a drop in the market about two decades ago led some farmers to let their hybrid pigs run free. Now they're running very free according to field and stream. The super pigs are coming south, likely heading to Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, and Michigan. The problem? These super pigs are proving very hard to eradicate. They can survive in cold climates, which is one of the big surprises. The cold hardiness of the hybrid pigs means they survive well. That means other native species do not. Wild hogs feed on anything. They gobble up tons and tons of goslings and ducklings in the spring. They can also take down a white tailed deer, even an adult. Originally, it was like, wow, this is something we can hunt, but it's become clear that they are threatening our white-tailed deer, elk, and especially waterfowl, not to mention crop damage. The downsides outweigh any benefits wild hogs may have as a huntable species. The super pigs have already transversed across the international border, dipping into at least North Dakota. So expect an even greater occurrence as the hybrid population only grows. Like on public transit, if you see something, say something. Something. The Squeal on Pigs website makes that even easier. The Super Pigs have become adept at fending off recreational hunters, sometimes with entire sounders, the term for a group of pigs generally led by mature sows, turning nocturnal to avoid hunting. Other times the sound roasts will disperse, making them harder to locate or change their patterns and retreat to forests or wetlands. The best strategy at reigning in the super pigs has been employing the Judas Pig concept which straps a GPS collar onto a pig to lead game officials to other pigs. Deception may be our only hope. Wow, that's pretty scary. (laughs) Next article. Arizona resident comes home to a bobcat in its dog's bed. Caitlin O'Kane wrote this article. A homeowner in San Manuel, Arizona, came home after work to find a furry creature in her dog's bed, but it wasn't a pet. It was a bobcat believed to have come through the home's unlocked doggy door. The homeowner snapped a photo of the bobcat lounging in the bed, and the Arizona Game and Fish Department shared the image on Twitter, warning residents do not handle wildlife like this themselves. Officers with the department did arrive to the scene, but the bobcat had already escaped when they arrived. There did not appear to be a dog of the bed, just a blanket. These animals, however, are dangerous to small pets like dogs and birds. Bobcats, which have tan coats and dark spots and look like small mountain lions, are common in areas of Arizona, according to the department. They are prevalent in the Sonoran Desert, but also move to the outskirts of towns and cities where they may find food. They also live in many different habitats across the U.S., from northern forests to coastal swamps in the southeast and deserts in the southwest. And according to the International Society for Endangered Cats Canada, bobcats live in every U.S. state except Delaware. They are protected in 10 states where hunting this species is regulated. While they are still often hunted for their skins, the change and loss of their habitats and being killed by farmers and ranchers is their main threat, according to the Society. They can be hunted in Arizona with a valid hunting license, according to the Department. These animals usually grow to the size of a small to medium dog, which is about 12 to 30 pounds, and up to 24 inches tall and 36 inches long. They usually walk around during sunrise or sunset and are often found in backyards where they can find food like birds, rodents and even unattended small pets. While they're normally alone, they can travel with their families and mates and defend about a 12-square-mile territory. And they are often territorial, returning to the same areas even if captured and relocated. Therefore, removing things that attract them to an area like food is key to preventing their return. The department advises people to see bobcats near their home not to panic... The department advises people who see bobcats near their homes not to panic, as they usually don't attack people. However, a bobcat with rabies may attack. So if a bobcat appears to be hyperactive or bites a person, there is cause for concern and animal control or the Fish and Game Department should be called. If you're attacked, you should fight back. The department also advises homeowners to keep small pets protected inside or on leash While outside, because even in an enclosed yard, they are not safe, as bobcats can jump up to 12 feet and over a fence. They also say not to feed the animals because it could make them too comfortable with humans. Yikes. So, it's my understanding as well, uh, by reading another article after that, that the dog in that home was found safe. I believe it had some minor injuries and was treated at a local vet. So, very interesting stuff indeed. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you could shoot us an email. And we put that email address as well as all of the articles that we've used for the show today in the show notes for this episode. Please join us again next time when we talk about more entertaining abstracts. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye!